This weekly broadcast is an in-depth study of Leviticus and is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can email us at in-depthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 4 this morning. Now, as you all have noticed, that in the book of Leviticus, you have five offerings. The question is, why five offerings? Why not two offerings? Why not three offerings? And the reason for that is that it takes five offerings to accurately portray what Jesus Christ did for us. So that not one, just one offering is not going to show us and uh, bring forth a picture that will accurately portray what Christ did. And you will see in the offerings as we've been going through them, there is so much typology in all the different things going on there. And of course, we are not looking at every single thing, you know, especially in the offering today, the sin offering. There are so many small things moving that I, I, some of them I don't know what the typology is related to them. Um, and some of them I didn't even look at because it's just we don't have the time to, to spend anyway with uh, the limited time that we have. Now remember, there's five offerings, and five in the Bible uh, refers to grace. Remember the five barley loaves. That was the grace of God to the people. Uh, Paul received five beatings. God's grace. So you see that moving here in the offerings also. Now, there is a communication from God to man here. And that is seen in the offerings. There are certain things communicated by God in hope that they would be able to catch that, to take that, and that it would not be uh, ritualistic, but that there, there would be something within the individual that would move them past the ritual to where God really wants this thing to be. Now, the communication of the offerings are, are this right here. I'm putting on the overhead here. The offerings were uh, to communicate their knowledge of sin. Now, Romans 3.20 says, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So before the law, there was no knowledge of sin that God said, Okay, this is it here. They didn't have that. But by the law, you had this thing here. Now, you have the knowledge of sin that is being brought up before all the people, leaders all the way through. It's, it's in the offerings, the knowledge uh, of sin. Now, the knowledge of sin is necessary in order 
for that to bring about a change within. See, if I do not have a knowledge of sin, then how can I go about changing that or going to God with that if I have no knowledge of it, you see? So that's a very important part of the offerings that, that God has placed there, bringing that communication out through the offering, the knowledge of sin. Um, the offerings communicated the seriousness of sin, Romans 5, 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, it says. Now the word reigned there, sin reigned, um, or death reigned, sin, sin, uh, death is a re result of, of sin, death reigned from Adam to Moses. The word reigned there uh, means to exercise control or to rule. So, so that sin, as, as Adam and Eve sinned, that thing pushed out from them, so to speak, and took control or ruled them, and every person that was born had that same thing where sin exercised control over them or ruled over them. And so you look about the world today, and all the ills that you see, all the problems you see in the world are in one way, shape, or form related or caused by the sin of man. That's how serious sin is. But, you know, many times we don't understand that or see the seriousness of our own sin. So God placed that thing in the offering to show them that this is, is serious. This is something that is, you know... Uh, there and needs to be addressed. So without the communication that sin is serious, then darkness has control, sin has control, and the individual will not be able to move out from under that in the direction God wants them to go, and that would be, you know, to Him. So, so that's, that's in the offering there. The next you see is the consequence of sin. Now go to Leviticus 4. You can place a marker there this morning because we're going to go to other scriptures, uh, but we're going to come back to Leviticus 4. This is, of course, dealing with the sin offering. Uh, the consequence of sin. And he, verse 4, he sh And he shall uh, bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and shall lay his hands upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. So sin brought death. He's to kill the bullock before the Lord. Uh, the literal death of the animal uh, testified that sin brought death. Romans 5, 12. Just to interject this, the phrase put to death, is mentioned in Leviticus more than any other place in any, any book of the Bible. Put to death, put to death, put to death. And, and remember, when you see things like that, especially things that are repeated, 
There's a reason for that. See, the consequence of sin is death. Now, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. That's talking about Adam. Uh, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So you see this, this thing all through the Scriptures. Uh, you see it in Leviticus, the consequence of sin. You see that through the prophets. You see that in the Gospels. You see this in, in Romans. You see it in Hebrews. The same thing. Consequence of sin is uh, death. Now, in Leviticus, sin was to cover the consequence of death or, or consequence, if you could say, let me see how I want to say this. The offering covered the sin, the atonement. That's what atonement means. But the death was transferred from the individual to the animal. And that's actually quite good. We, we as I said before, kind of frown sometimes on this you know, sacrificial thing where they killed the animals. But the death that was a result of sin, the consequence of sin, was taken from the individual to the animal. So if God didn't have that set up there for them, that, as people say, that the bloody sacrifices, if he didn't have that, then the death would have fell upon man and he would have had to pay with his own blood. So God says, okay, we'll make another way here for you and we'll, we'll let you sacrifice these animals. So the consequence of sin uh, is seen in the offerings. The next thing is seen here is uh, the need for repentance. See, all these are communications from God in the offerings, communicating to the people uh, what God wants, what He sees, what He's after. So in this one here, you see the need for repentance, and you can see that in various offerings where they laid their hands upon the head of the animal, or in some verses it says that they brought uh, the, the offering, the sacrifice, and they took it into the outer court. And that uh, symbolized that they, in their heart, saw their sin and they were going to repent of their sin. Now remember, these things were ritualistic, but God was after something more than ritual. He wanted a repentance from within, not just a ritual, the same today. He's not interested in some ritual just coming to the altar. Coming to the altar does you no good. If your heart is not repented, repentive, or if your heart is not drawn and, and is go, not going out to God, then it does you no good to come here. You may as well sit in your seat. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't come to the altar, but I'm saying that there's more than ritual. Anything can become ritualistic. Uh, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church is very ritualistic, very. But I also see that in Christian churches, you can have the same identical thing 
where, oh, I won't do this, this, and this because that's ritualistic and that's what I saw in the Catholic Church. But then you go over here in the Christian Church and they do some of the same things every week, same thing, same thing, same thing. And it can become, if the Spirit of God is not in it, it can become a ritual the same as the other. So there, there's more moving. See, there's this thing up here on the top, the surface thing always in the Bible. Uh, with the offerings, and then there's this thing moving underneath where God is, is, is that what he's after, where he's moving toward and, and all that. And, and you will find that throughout every aspect of Christianity, everywhere in the scriptures. You'll see the surface thing, you'll see the stories in the Bible, uh, and then there's, there's another layer under that, something deeper, and then there's other things under that, where you see the moving of the Spirit and the purpose of God and the will of God and all this other stuff that, that's moving in a much deeper realm, a deep, deeper place. And I, I will say that most of Christianity today is moving along this surface thing, what's, what's along the top. Uh, and, and there's not much, there's some, but there's not a lot of penetration down into the other areas where God is. You know, to, to go uh, to the deep, deep calleth unto deep, to go to the deep, it will take a certain heart, it will take um, a certain desire, it will take a certain walk, uh, and God will, will bring a person there. But see, that's a place that will cost. It's not something that, well, I'm a Christian, now I'm moving in the deep things. No, you're not. So you have this thing everywhere in the scriptures, and in particular in the offerings, because of all the things on the surface, the rituals and all that, that by the way, they had to, to go and do it that way. But that was an entrance into something different, something else uh, that's moving, something that can be more full, um, something that can be heart-touching, and so on. So, um, in Numbers, we're not going to read that. Um, see, bringing an offering uh, was to be an inner sign of repentance, not just the exterior thing. And in uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. See, so there's that godly sorrow there that was to be also in the offer. Now, I don't know um, how many that came with their offerings actually had sorrow for their sin, or was it that they feared God, and they, they did it out of this you know, traditional thing? I don't know. I'm sure both applied. There were some that, that, that came and actually were you know, repented in their hearts and had a godly sorrow, and others did not. Then the next thing you see is the provision for sin or the atonement or the covering. And I'll read a verse here from Numbers 15, 28. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray when he, when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be forgiven. Now, I'll, I'll mention this before the sin offering here. Uh, you see in the scriptures 
with the patriarchs and especially with, um, as we looked a few weeks ago with Job, you see the burnt offering. Now remember, the law was not given, so these men were moving under something different. Uh, so they offered a burnt offering, which was this, this devotion or consecration to God. But also, I believe God counted that for a sin offering at that time. Uh, and you see that with Job, you know, for his, doing it for his, his children, for his family. So um, now you have the sin offering, and that's in chapter 4, verses 1 through 35, and chapter 6, 24 through 30. Now, this offering was commanded by God because of His holiness, and His holiness demanded a covering for sin. Now, the sin offering and the trespass offering are what they call non-sweet savor. The first three offerings were sweet savor offerings where, where that would ascend unto God and it would be a sweet savor unto Him. These offerings are called non-sweet savor offerings and they dealt with the issue of sin. Now, let me put this up here for you. The sin offering... Um, was an offering that dealt with the sinner's condition or the sinner's nature. The trespass offering, we'll look at next week, deals with individual sins of, of the people, you know, the priests and what have you. This offering deals with the sin condition, if you want to say the nature, the sin nature, the carnal nature, whatever you want to say but it's the condition within man, and that relates to what Jesus did when He died on the cross. He, he did not specifically die for your specific sins, but for you, for your nature, for your condition. And so when the sin offering, remember, this was not um, before the law. This is a new offering, never seen before in the Bible until this time, uh, dealing with the sin issue as far as that becoming, uh, you know, the condition of man, you know, where they are. Now, I want to show you this in Leviticus. Turn to Leviticus 4. See, you, you are not a sinner because you sin. So you are a sinner because of your nature. See, one is the result of the other. The sinning is a result of the sin nature, the condition. And so this offering is dealing with that. Now in verse 3, actually verse 2, we'll look at verse 2, uh, and I'll read that. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a, if a soul shall sin... Now, this word here um, is, if you want to look this up, 2398 in the Strong's, and it's to miss. Let me see here. It's to miss the goal. It's to miss the path. Or, as I put up here, to miss the mark. Okay. 
Verse 3. And if the priest that is anointed do sin, that's 2398. It's the same, same thing. It's to miss the mark. So if the priest that is anointed do sin, or he misses the mark according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin. This is Strong's 2403, and that means his condition. According as a sin, okay, let, um, then let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned. That's, again, 2398. I hope this isn't confusing you. That means to miss the mark. Uh, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. And that is the uh, 2403, his condition. Can you see that? Can you guys see that? Okay. Now, let me read the verse again, inserting this. Now, this is the stuff I like to look at. It's kind of like splitting hairs, but it shows you that God was interested in the condition, the sin nature of man, and this offering was brought forth to deal with that very thing. Now, if the priest that is anointed do sin, or if he misses the mark, according to the sin of the people, let him bring for his sin... His condition, his nature. Let him bring for his nature, for his condition, which he has sinned, a young bullock without blemish, unto the Lord for a sin offering condition. That, that's what the sin offering means, his condition. So you see that God is dealing with something more than up here, the surface thing with this offering. Now... I think that it's very, very interesting to see how the Lord has set these offerings up to minister life through them. Now, what I mean by that is they all speak of Christ, all these different typologies uh, in Hebrews. If we could take the time, I could, I could go down along these verses and go to Hebrews and show you verse after verse after verse where God you know, brings that out for us to see. Now, let's go to... Now, are you clear on this here? That it's dealing with his sin, the condition. The sin offering, the condition. That's the main thing I want you to see with this offering. Now, um, let's go to Ezekiel a minute here. As I said before, the Lord is after something more than what we see sometimes on the surface. Now, this offering was to cover man's condition from God's eyes. He, he looks down, he sees the condition. Now remember, this was not, as it says in Romans, was not imputed to man before the law. So man, uh, God didn't see it, so to speak. Now, because of the law, he sees it, and he says, I need a covering so I don't have to look at your condition. Wow. 
<laughs> we don't know what we have in Christ. But anyway, in Ezekiel, this whole thing is leading somewhere. He just doesn't want it covered to cover it, you see. As I said, he wants more from the offering than the ritualistic thing. In Ezekiel 36, now this is related to the sprinkling of the blood and the sprinkling of the water. There were different things that they did in Leviticus. There, if we get to it today, the sprinkling of the blood um, on, on the horns of the altar. And then you have the sprinkling of, of water in the purification and the consecration. So here you see the sprinkling of water. Verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Now here's what I want you to see. See, God is after something more. He's not after this sprinkling, all this ritualistic thing that we see here. He says in verse 26, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now remember, this, even this particular thing that God wants here is conditional. So that God wants to do this, but if a person hardens their heart, how can he make a new heart in them? See, so there is something on the part of the individual that has to occur for, for that to happen. Now, in the offerings, you, you bring your offering. Okay? Like I said before, you bring it with your own hand. It's to be a sign of repentance. And so you have the surface thing there where you're actually bringing your offering. But God's after something more. He's, not, he's interested in the ritual aspect as far as obedience to what He said. But... That which is moving underneath here is what he's really after, and, and that is that the person would have a repentant heart. Not just this outward thing is a sign of repentance, but a heart that is truly sorry for their sin. And so in, in this portion of Scripture in Ezekiel, God wants to make a, a new heart a new heart, a new spirit, and take out the stony heart and put a heart of flesh, a soft heart he's talking about. Now let's go back to Leviticus 4. Now the basic purpose of the sin offering, okay, um, was to, to cover sin, of course, but it says something here in verse 2, and we're not going to read that. Uh, well, I guess we can. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance. So he's dealing here with sins done in ignorance, verse 2, or if you read verse 28, it's unintentional sins. Now in verse 13, let's read this. And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance, and the thing be hid from, their, from the eyes of the assembly, and they, and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done and are guilty. So there are sins that are hidden from the eyes, as he's saying right here. Now, the word ignorance here 
the root word of that means to stray. Well, to stray from what? Well, to stray from God, to stray from his purpose, to stray from his teaching, uh, to stray from his will, whatever, from his leading. So he's leading these people along a certain path, even through the offerings. Okay? Now, sin in ignorance still can cause a person to stray. Not just sin that we know, but sin that we may not be aware of. I call them like blind spots. And I believe we all have them to some degree. And that's the purpose of the ministry of the Word. That's the purpose of the moving of the Spirit. That's the purpose of, of sitting down in quiet time with the Lord and reading the Bible. Because when we have the blind spots and, and fellowship with believers, see, these things all working together, God can use one or the other or all of them at a, at a particular time to help a blind spot, a sin of ignorance that we may have. Now, um, let me see. Let's turn to Psalm 19. Now, before we go to let's go to Acts 2. Now, the, the Jews were in ignorance. When they crucified Jesus... Uh, they were in ignorance, and Peter tells them that in Acts chapter 2. Now look in chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly. Now this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter goes and he tells them that they need to repent and be baptized. So he's saying here that they they did this, they crucified them, and they they were pricked in their hearts because many of the people were ignorant of of what God was doing through all this. And so Peter tells them. Now, there's a difference between what we see in Acts, them being in ignorance and being willing to come out from the darkness into light, coming out from their ignorance uh, to repentance. There's a difference between that and being ignorant and staying in your ignorance. A big difference. In Psalm 19... You know, we can ignore our uh, sin. We can be ignorant of something, and the Lord can bring that up, so to speak. So now we're not ignorant of it. We see that. And actually, in Leviticus 4, that's what happens. Uh, There's sin of ignorance that, I think it's verse 28. Let me read that real quick. I hope I'm right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, or if his sin, which he hath sinned, come to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, etc. So it was a sin that he didn't know about that came to his knowledge. So, so the Lord can do that. 
He can bring a sin to our knowledge that we, we weren't aware of. But see, now, what are we going to do? We can stay in ignorance and not acknowledge our sin or say, let's not sin. And I believe we've all done that. See, I, <laughs> the carnal nature is very, very shifty. It will make you believe that something is, is of God that is not of God. And I was thinking about a sin of ignorance. Have you, has that ever happened to you where the Lord showed you something that you did or you were doing and you, did, you just did it out of ignorance, you didn't know, even know that there was anything wrong with it, and all of a sudden the Lord says, no. Now, this has to be changed. You know, this has to be corrected or whatever it may be. Uh, for example, let's say, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of myself. I had this attitude towards somebody. And I didn't really even, you know, think it was an attitude. So here I am. I'm in this sin of ignorance. I don't really think it's an attitude. I'm not even thinking about it. It's just what comes out of me, you see. And the Lord brings that up and says, hey, that's an attitude. Now, I am no longer in ignorance. See, the knowledge of that thing has come up before me. And now, just like the, the Israelites, now they have to bring an offering unto the Lord because now they have the knowledge of the sin that before they were ignorant of. And now they're, they're required to bring a specific thing to the Lord. Well, what is the offering that you have to bring to the Lord as, you, as an individual? Well, that is you know, this repentance. Okay, Lord, I acknowledge that this is an attitude. And yes, I am asking you for forgiveness. And, you know, please cleanse me of this. And so all these things that we read are so related to us today that it's just amazing, to me anyway. In Psalm 19, verse 12, who can understand his errors? <laughs> Let's put it this way. Who can discern his errors or that which he has done accidentally? And I'll give you another example from my life. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, you know, you get amongst people or you're around someone and you say something, and you don't, you're not intentionally saying anything that's, that you intended to be wrong or hurtful, but something comes out and it was an unintentional thing, it was an accidental thing, and then it, there it is, and the Lord's saying, no, there you are. See, why did you say that? You say, forgive me, Lord. You see? Who can discern his error? See, it takes a heart that is soft before God so that when things do come out, and they will at times, that the Spirit of God can discern that for you. For the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually, they are foolish with him. But then he goes on and says that they are spiritually discerned. So, 
David says this, um, who can discern his errors or his inadvertent sin? Cleanse me from secret faults, or, or that actually the secret means that which is hidden. Cleanse me from that which is hidden. Hidden to my eyes, or when it comes up, I may want to hide it, see? I want to put something over because I don't want to see it. And I said, well, that, you know, I, I said that that way because that guy deserved it. Well, he may have deserved it, but that's not the point. The point is that it was sin. Now you know it's sin. Now you have to deal with it. You've got to bring your offering. You understand? Okay, go back to Leviticus 4. This is all dealing with uh, the heart condition, the sin condition. That which is there, uh, that is the, the catalyst, so to speak, of the sin that comes out. So God deals with this. He covers that in, in Leviticus, of course. In hope, as we read in Ezekiel, that there would be a change there. Uh, Leviticus 4. This is a very interesting thing. Remember when we looked at the burnt offering. The burnt offering were sweet savor offering. And the, the smell of that ascended. With the sin offering, that's, it's not the same. It's a non-sweet savor offering, and it doesn't ascend. It's poured out. Verse 12. Even the whole, the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place, where the ashes are poured out. So one is ascending, and the other is being poured out down low. Why is it poured out? Well, I believe there's a scripture in Romans. Let's turn there for one minute. Romans 7, 13. God is bringing this typology or he's portraying something through this different direction now. He's pouring this, these ashes, pouring them out, pouring them down. Um, in verse... 13, chapter 7. But sin, this is the second part of the verse, but sin that it may, may appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, he's talking about the law, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. See, God is not receiving that up like the other offerings, the sweet savor offerings, it's being poured out, being poured down to the ground because it is, sin is exceedingly sinful. It's, it's there, it's down there. That's where it lays. Now look at chapter 4, Leviticus, verse 11. We'll read this whole thing. And then turn to... Put your finger there and then go to Hebrews 13. I want to, want to draw the correlation between this again. Verse 11, Leviticus 4:11, and, and the skin of the bullock and all his flesh with his head and with his legs 
and his inwards, and his dung, even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp. Now remember, it says that Jesus went without the camp. Or um, you had the religious, in Leviticus, you had the religious thing, the religious ceremony and all that moving in the camp, in the court. Okay? The ashes were taken without the camp to a clean place. Okay? Just like Jesus, who uh, was brought up in the religious system with the Jewish rituals and everything that they had then, Jesus had to leave that, actually came against that, and went without or on the outside of the Jewish uh, setup there. Or another way of thinking of it is you had Jerusalem, which would be the camp, that's where the, the, the heart of their worship and their, their sacrifices took place. You had Jerusalem, and Jesus was taken when he was crucified outside of Jerusalem to be crucified. He was outside the camp, so to speak. So here you see that uh, in verse 12, uh, that it was carried forth, the, the whole bullock was carried forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out, poured out and burn him on the wood, of, wood with fire where the ashes are poured out shall he be burnt. Now turn to Hebrews 13, verse 11. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt without the camp. Now he's talking about the sin offering here, not the other offerings, the sin offering. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. So he went without the camp or outside of the camp. Verse 13. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So there is an identification with this offering outside the camp, identifying with Jesus, uh, bearing his reproach as a Christian. See, this is all moving back to Leviticus here, this, this Hebrews 13. So there is this heart in the individual that is to move toward Jesus. Now, I, I find that this was very interesting that right in the middle of this system, the, the, this Levitical system of, of, of the offerings, that God placed that particular thing there testifying that the Jews would reject Christ and he would have to go outside of the camp. Right in the middle of all that that they do, there's this testimony of Christ. And they don't do sacrifices today, but if they did today, you would have the same testimony again, right there. Right in the middle of that, it's testifying that you must go forth unto Jesus and, and bear his reproach. Now, to this point, are there any questions? Okay. Um, let me just give this to you very quickly, and some of you are taking some notes. I didn't even... Jeez. Oh, okay. There were different animals used. As you see here, um, 
verses 3 through 12, you had the sins of the priests and the elders. They had to bring a, a young bullock. That's in verse 3. Now, the, the bullock was the most valuable of all the animals uh, because for them, this represented that they had the greater responsibility. And so they have to bring something of greater value. And I'm trying to get a scripture real quick here. My, my brethren, be not many masters knowing, or many teachers. Don't be desirous of being a teacher because knowing that we shall receive the greater judgment. That's uh, James 3.1. So they have to bring this uh, bullock, which is the most expensive of, of all. Then you see verses 13. No, you don't see. <laughs> I don't have it up there. Okay. The next one is verses 13 through 21, and that's the sins of the congregation. Now, this is, this is meaning the congregation as, as a whole. They would bring a young bullock, and that's dealing with corporate responsibilities. We all have responsibilities in the church, basically. Um, and then you have verses 22 through 26. That's the sins of the rulers or, or the leaders. They had to bring a male goat, which wasn't you know, as costly. And then you had verses 27 through 35, and those were the sins of the common people. And they would have to bring um, a female goat or a lamb. See, all according to uh, their rank as an individual. What they had to bring was accordingly. And then um, in Leviticus, let's just turn to this very quickly. Leviticus 5.11. In Leviticus 12.6, the poor could bring turtle doves or a pigeon. But the very poor, or the ones that were really poor... Leviticus 5.11. Does anyone have it? Can you read that real quick. 5.11? Yeah. But if he be not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he that sin shall bring for his offering the tenth part of an ephod of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil upon it, neither shall he put any frankincense thereupon, for it is a sin offering. So God provided for the very poor. He said, just bring a tenth of an ephah would be a couple quarts of fine flour. And he said, don't mix any oil or frankincense with it. Um, for two reasons. Because if they were that poor, they probably couldn't afford the frankincense or the oil. And the second reason was to distinguish that from the meal offering. So they could, they could bring that. So here you see once again that... God provided for the individual regardless of their social status. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor a person was. God said, I'm making provision for you so that you as an individual can bring a sin offering. Now, even though that was, an, that was the exception there, uh, there was no blood at all dealing with that. God said, I'm looking upon you, you're poor, and I will make it a sin offering for you, which I think is... It was fantastic that God, you know, does that. Okay, we're going to have to stop there. I didn't get to the, alt, the altar of incense, but that's okay.
We'll uh, deal with the next offering next week. Scripture has said, rivers of me.